0: So also, also we have these on your table every single week we do this and on one side is the sermon notes So that's where we are right now and we are covering the entire chapter of luke 15 right? It's gonna get crazy and good and you're gonna learn some stuff and i'm gonna learn some stuff and It's gonna be incredible. We also also as you're taking notes and processing I want you to go home and between now and sunday. I want you to read luke chapter 15 And I want you to take your own notes I want you to process, what is God teaching you? What's standing out to you? What's weird, what's strange? What questions do you have? What is hitting you hard? I want you to take notes on that and process that. So make sure you are doing that. Hey, you guys, it is so good to see you. Can I just say, it is so good to be back here. I feel like we've had a lot of weeks where we haven't been here. We've been missing, we've been at camp or doing whatever. It is so good to be back with you and I love this place and especially those of you that are new. If I haven't gotten to say hi to you, I am the high school pastor here uh, and I love you alongside like 25 adult leaders who love you and we are so glad you're here. Especially, real quick, if you're a new freshman, could you just like raise your hand so we could like see you real quick and give it up for our new freshman? Yes, yes. And here's the thing, I know it's summer. I know it's a great night to be at the beach. I know there's vacation all that stuff but you guys decided to show up to HSM tonight, and that is super, super cool. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray, and then we're gonna dive into Luke 15. And as we pray, something we do in HSM, it's a little bit of a tradition, is I wanna encourage you to hold your hands out like this. And when we hold our hands out, all we're saying is, if, if you're in this room and you like, don't believe in God at all, I am so glad you're here. And maybe you thought the speaker or the preacher would not say that, but I'm saying that. Like We're so glad you're here because I just believe God is real. And I believe he's going to show up in your life, whether you like it or not. And so when you hold your hands open, all you're saying is, hey, God, if you're real, show up. I'm willing. I got my ears open. I got my eyes open. I'm willing to see what you have for me. And then for those of us that have been following Jesus, whether it's for a day or 10 years or our entire life, when we hold our hands up we're saying, hey, God, we're willing to hear you again. We're willing to grow more. We recognize that we need you. And you'll hear me pray this often, that whenever we open God's word, we're asking him to do three things. And this happens when you're opening the word on your own, and this happens when we're doing it from stage, is we're asking God to comfort us, that his word would actually heal us, that we'd feel a sense of love and hope, that he would comfort us, that he would actually convict us. And I know conviction can be a tough thing, but conviction is always good when it comes from God. Because the conviction that God gives us is never intended to make us feel guilty. It's always like he's revealing something tough or something that needs a change in our lives so that we could be closer with him. Not so that we would feel bad ever, but so that we could be closer with him. So we're asking God to convict us. And then the third thing we're asking, it's a big thing. We're asking God to compel us. We're actually saying, hey God, because we've gathered, because this isn't just a social club, because it's not like we didn't have anything else better to do, but because we've gathered and because we've opened your word, would you compel us? Would there be something radically different about our lives because we've gathered? So that's a big intro to a prayer. Here we go, hold your hands out, let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that every single student and leader in this room is one of your kids who you adore. Maybe there's some people here tonight who just need to be reminded or told for the first time that they weren't an accident, that you adore them, that they're considered your special possession. And God, I just pray that as we open your word, that you would comfort us, that you would convict us, that you would compel us, that we might actually be different people Because we've gathered. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you that you are in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, you guys, if you got your Bibles, open to Luke 15. Luke 15. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to toss these out real quick. We need to get these back. But here, you guys don't have a Bible. Boom, catch that. Hopefully it doesn't kill anybody. Is there anybody back there who doesn't have one? Wow. Okay, I'm going to go over your head, Argo. Get ready. Woo! There it is. All right, so open to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Sandra, Is that right? Is that Sandra? Did I get that right? Pass it back to Sandra. Pass one. Do we have another Bible? Pass one back to Sandra. Hey, it's good to see you. I'm so glad you're here, Sandra. Um, am I getting your name right? Am I saying it right? Yeah. She's so embarrassed. I love you, Sandra, already. Hey, tonight we are going into Luke 15. We are in a series called Investigating Jesus, the story that changed the world. The gospel writer of Luke, the author of Luke is actually Luke, right? He's this guy. And he was on this hunt. He was not one of the early followers of Jesus. He wasn't one of the disciples, in fact. But he was a guy who had his whole world turned upside down by Jesus. And so he said, man, I gotta find out what's, what's the deal with this guy? And so he did research. He talked to eyewitnesses. He had multiple conversations. He traveled around. In fact, we know that he actually traveled because it's recorded in the book of Acts that he actually traveled with some of the people who walked and talked with Jesus just so that he could get a clear picture of who this guy Jesus really was. And this is so important because sometimes maybe as new Christians or maybe as Christians who have been following him for a while, we think these these are just kind of like fairy tales or somebody was in like a cave somewhere and like wrote some story. I mean, this is real stuff. Like this guy, Luke, Was an investigator he was trying to find out all about jesus so we believe this is a story that changed the world here's where we're going tonight here's where we're going tonight we're gonna we're gonna see jesus tell three stories and this is like like if i had one chapter of the gospels which i don't know if you if you've had one chapter other than like death and resurrection stuff, like if I had one chapter, I was like, dude, this is the chapter, like this is it. This is the real deal. This is the pokey stop. This is it, man. Don't miss this. It would be Luke chapter 15. It would be this chapter. And I love this chapter because Jesus talks to two groups of people and they each have perceptions of who Jesus is and he totally blows those perceptions out of the water. And every person in this room, we can fit into one of those categories. That he's gonna, you're gonna see, he's gonna talk with a group of sinners. And that's just people who are far from God. And maybe there's some of you tonight who you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never begun a relationship with Jesus. In fact, showing up here, you're like, what is this guy doing up on stage? What's happening right now? What are they gonna make me drink some Kool-Aid? No, like there's no Kool-Aid. Like there's nothing of that gonna happen here. But maybe you're like kind of wigging out. And, and, and if you don't have a relationship with God, then you are fitting in the category of sinners and, and, and that's okay because all of us are. Jesus is gonna tell three stories that are gonna blow your mind of what God is like because maybe as a sinner, as somebody who's far from God, what's up, Mac? <laughs> maybe you're somebody, <laughs> maybe you're somebody far from God. You're going, man, I, I, I know what God is like. He's non-existent. He's absent. He doesn't care anything about me. Tonight, he's going to blow your mind with a totally different picture of who he is. But also, there's this other cast, there's this other group of people that have the privilege of hearing this story, and it's the religious people. It's the people who have been around church for a while. It's the people who know how this kind of whole thing works, who know the right things to say, the right things to do, who have all of that going on. And it can be so quickly, and this is where I want to challenge some of you who have been following Jesus for a while. The challenge tonight is this, it can be so easy to become really, really judgmental. And we're going to see this group of people who, man, they live and breathe judgmentalism, right? They sweat it. It's their life. That is what they do because that's what they think it means to be close with God is to judge others. And Jesus has a harsh word for them and a challenge for them. And so if you're in this room and you're like me and you've been following Jesus for a while and it can be easy to become judgmental, which is just saying, why aren't you more like me? That's what judgmentalism is, right? Why aren't you more like me? Man, Jesus is gonna have a harsh word for us tonight because he wants us, he wants us to see what he's really up to. He wants us to know the power of his gospel. So that's what he has for us tonight. So I I can't wait to dive into Luke 15, but I wanna begin with this, a story. Charlie and I, this morning, literally this morning, Charlie and I, uh, he, he got some new puzzles. And Charlie's at that age, he's my four-year-old son. He's at that age where for some reason, this interests him a little bit, doing the puzzles, but there's nothing he can do on his own. And so what it was, it was a map of the United States and it was probably maybe like 80 pieces, maybe a hundred pieces. And so what Charlie wanted to do is he wanted to build this puzzle, but here's the thing, he couldn't build the puzzle on his own. He doesn't have it in him to build it on his own. And so what Charlie and I did is we sat down together And man, he got so close to me. I love this about him. He got so skin close to me. Like he's just like sitting on my lap and we're sitting there and we're starting to lay out the pieces and we're beginning to connect some of the dots and he can't do it all on his own at all. And I could do it all by myself, right? Like I'm not like, Charlie, this puzzle's freaking me out, bro. I need your help. Like I'm not worried about the puzzle. I could sit down and do an 80 to 100 piece puzzle on my own. That's how smart I am, right? So I can handle that. Charlie's not there yet. It's like blowing his mind. He can't do that. But you know what happened is when Charlie and I got together, he was able to partner with me. This is key. He was able to partner with me in building the puzzle. For those of you that have been following Jesus for a while or are Christians, your job, your like sole purpose for existence is not to make a lot of money, is not even to go to that college, is not even to have that experience or marry that person. Your purpose is to partner with God in building his kingdom. And Charlie sat down with me, and we were sitting there, and, and he was starting to build the puzzle, starting to make some dots connected, and pieces connected, and he didn't get it all right, and I was helping him. And every time a connection would be made, we would make it together, and he would do this. He would stop, and he'd like look at me, and he'd go, yeah! He's just gonna like freak out, right? And he's just so like full, so full of excitement, so full of true joy, as we built this puzzle together. And I began to think, man, Luke fifteen. Luke fifteen is this. It's an invitation to the outsider, to the person who's not following Jesus, to join the family, to begin a relationship with Him. And at the end of tonight. I want to give an opportunity for anyone in this room who hasn't begun a relationship with Jesus to actually begin that. But it's also, it's also a reminder to those of us who have been following Jesus for a while that it can become so easy as Christians to be judgmental, to hate on people, to get so angry at people, to look at people that are in the world and say, man, you're so stupid. Why are you doing that? And in a sense, what we're saying is, I am so much better. And the gospel does not give us permission to do that. The gospel demands us to think about people differently. Not as those who are lost, not not, not as those who are broken or those that we don't want anything to do with or those who aren't as good as us, but those who are lost and need to be found. Those who are dead and need to be made alive. And so Christians in this room, if you've got an ounce of judgmentalism in you, If you look at other people and you scour, if you look down on other people because they're not as far along as you are, this story tonight is just as much for you as it is for those who have been following Jesus for a while because what Charlie experienced there in that moment is as him and I were building the puzzle, he experienced true joy. Not judgmentalism at Brinley because there's no way in heck Brinley's building a puzzle right now, right? Like he wasn't looking at his sister Bryn and going, what the heck? How come you can't build a puzzle? No, no. He was so filled with joy because him and I were building this puzzle and because he was a part of this thing that he could not do on his own, but that I invited him into. And in the same way, God has invited you into something. And it's not to be judgmental. It's to be something else. Find me in Luke chapter 15. If you have your pens, again, I want to remind you every week, bring those pens because I'm going to actually ask you guys to be underlining some stuff, to be writing some notes. So here we go. Luke chapter 15 begins like this. Verse 1. We're going through the whole chapter. Here we go. Verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So what do we notice first? Who does Jesus like to hang out with? Tax collectors and sinners. Are, are the tax collectors like, like agents of the IRS? No, 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 they're way worse. And I've told some of you this before. Tax collectors were some of the worst people back in the first century when this was written. Tax collectors were some of the worst people on the planet because here's what they could do. They could show up at the shore right as you caught all these fish. And they could say, Rome demands 20%. And Rome may not actually demand 20%. Rome may only demand 10%, but they can make up whatever the figure they want. You see, these were Jewish entrepreneurs who had said, this is how we're gonna make our money. We're gonna contract ourselves out to Rome. We're gonna say, Rome, how much taxes do you want from this area? They're gonna say, we want 10% of everything. And they're gonna say, great. And then they have the authority and the backing and the power of Rome to collect as much as they want. Nobody in the first century liked tax collectors. Nobody in the first century wanted to hang out with tax collectors. They were absolutely a despised group of people. I hope you're beginning to think, who are those people in our world? Who are those people at your schools, in your friendships, in what you're seeing online? Who are those people that they are absolutely despised? And Christians, who is Jesus hanging out with? Them them. It says now, the tax collectors and the sinners, which again, i have talked about this before, how, how much would that suck if that was just your title, right? Like, like, oh yeah, sinner, sinner, right? Like, like, what if you had to like, walk around with like a big tattoo, sinner, you know what I mean? Like how offensive, how jacked up, this was just a category of people who were far from God. And some of these people got this label, and I don't know what labels you're living with right now, but some people got this label because of things that had been done to them, because of the family they had grown up in, because of the decisions they had made, because of the habits that they had, whatever it may be, they were sinners. And so you have tax collectors and you have sinners, people who the religious would say, don't ever hang out with them. Well, here's the problem. I just burped, sorry. Here's the problem. Jesus, Jesus hung out with those and I don't see him railing them I don't see him I don't see him judging them we see him over and over again especially in Luke's gospel eating meals sharing conversations oh man this is tonight, tonight is all about what is God like what is God like you know what God is like God is a God who loves to hang out with sinners. God is a God who loves to hang out with people who don't match up. God is a God who loves to be with people who don't fit the bill. Because he can do anything with their lives. We're only in verse one. Here we go, verse two. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes. This man, this is what Jesus was known for. This is his reputation. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them this is like this was this was the crap people were talking about with jesus this is the gossip that was going around these pharisees these were religious leaders the teachers of the law they were the people who were supposedly supposed to be closest with god and their major problem with jesus was that he liked sinners too much would anybody call you that Would would there be people who would say, man, I, I just don't get that person. They just love all these awful people. And I'm not saying you do everything that they do because Jesus didn't. You see, Jesus was able to love people without lowering himself to the activities that they were doing. You see, he had this amazing ability to love them and to eat with them and for people, the religious people, to look at him and say, man, this guy is literally known for eating and hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and yet Jesus didn't have to compromise. Jesus didn't have to stop being right with God but he loved them and he hung out with them. Would anybody in your life say that about you? And I know that... uh, uh, Sometimes we get so into our holy huddles, right? We get into just hanging out with the same people. And that is really important to build your faith and to have people that can encourage you and hold you accountable. And Jesus did that, right? He had his disciples, but he was also known for hanging out with people who were broken or people who didn't have it all together. Check out what happens next. So they mutter, this man's welcome sinners, and he eats with them. So then Jesus told this parable. Now, here's what a parable is, if you've never heard that word before. A parable is a fictional story with a point. It's a fictional story with a point. So Jesus does this all over the place. This is one of the things I love about Jesus. He tells stories. He's always, we always catch him telling these stories, which parables are stories that have a point, And so these stories didn't exactly, it's not like they happened. They're not like historical events. But what he's doing is he's telling a story that's fictional to prove a larger point. And I think Jesus was waiting for this moment. I think he was waiting for the opportunity to tell this story to these groups of people because somehow he had in his presence tax collectors, sinners, and then he had the religious He had the people who were far from God and the people who were so judgmental. And so he tells them these three stories and as I've been researching these, they actually build on each other. And the first two, the first two stories are primarily meant for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while. So if you're in this room and you've been following Jesus for a while, the point of these first two stories is actually for you. And then the punch at the end, the twist The thing that you would never expect comes in the third story, and the third story is for all of us. So this is story number one. Then Jesus told them this parable, which is a story with a point. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he, what's that word? I'm sorry. Can anybody read in the room? What is that what's that word? Joyfully. Joyfully. We're going to start doing a little talk back cuz I like this. Here we go. What's that word? Joyfully. Joyfully. This is really important for us religious people. Hold on cuz we're getting there. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So here's the story. There's this guy and all of a sudden, he and he, points, he says, imagine one of you, you have a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing. So you still have 99 you go after that one because that one matters to you. And you're willing to leave the 99 here because you don't want to lose that one, right? And everybody's, and, the, and the religious people are nodding their heads and going, yeah, yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. And so he says you're going to run after him. And you're going to find that sheep. And you're going to put it over your head. And how are you going to do it? With what kind of attitude? Joy. With joy. With joy, you're gonna put it over your shoulders, and then you're gonna go back to your neighbors. And you're gonna be like, "Guys, I caught the sheep." You know what I mean? Like, you got it on my shoulders. Let's party. Let's go crazy. You now, the religious people, the religious, this is so huge. The religious people, they're going, "Absolutely, we get that. Yes, that makes sense." See what Jesus is doing? Is he's like drawing them in? You're gonna see this in the third story. He's drawing them in at this point. So these religious people. So so those of us here, right? Let's say, um, what do you have a hundred of? Let's say you have a hundred Instagram followers. You got a hundred Snapchatters, okay? And you lose one. You lose one. Now nah, it's a bad analogy. You wouldn't go after him. So it's something valuable to you, and you chase after it because you care about it. Let's say this, let's say this. Let's say you have like 100 family photos that really mean a lot to you. And all of a sudden you lose one of them. And you're running, you're, you're trying to find that. You're looking all throughout the house to find it. When Charlie loses a helicopter, homie has six billion helicopters in our house. We have invested deeply in the helicopter industry. And yet Charlie, he loses one helicopter. And he's like, I've got to find it. And he stops everything to find it because it's so precious to him. What is that thing to you? This is what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get them to think this way and he's trying to get you and me to think this way. What is that thing in your life that if you lost it, you'd give up everything and you'd chase after? What is it? What is it for you? Second story tells us for the religious people to draw them in again. He says this, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and what does she say? rejoice she says rejoice with me i have found my lost coin in the same way i tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents again jesus is drawing them in he's saying look what is that thing what is that dollar amount what is that paycheck what is that thing that man if you lost it you would turn all the lights on in the house you'd lift up every single couch cushion You'd search outside, you'd call, you'd text all your friends because you couldn't stand to be without it. What would that thing be for you? That's what he's asking these religious leaders to begin thinking about. And again, they're going, yeah, Jesus, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, that thing that's so precious to me, I'd give up anything for it and I would chase after it with my whole heart. Because you see, we are good at loving things We're really good at loving money, and we're good at loving certain people. But what Jesus is gonna try to teach us here is, it's not okay to only love certain people, because God doesn't just love certain people. God, in fact, loves all people. And so these, these religious people are going, yeah, absolutely, I, I, that thing that's so passionate to me that I, that I care so much about, I would give up anything for that. I would strive after that. I would chase after I would leave everything to go find that. And then when I found it, I would be full of joy. This is the key. I would be full of absolute joy. And then Jesus says, well, then let me tell you what God is like. Let me tell you what God is like. And he tells a third story, and it goes like this. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. Now, in your Bibles, this may say the prodigal son. That may be the title of it. I kind of like that. That's okay. It's really the story of two lost sons. But I really think of this story, and the title I like to give to it is it's the story of the running father. It's the story of a dad who reveals how much he loves, how much he is willing to leave behind to chase after his kids. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. At this point, the first two stories would have drawn them in. They would have been interested. This third story, they would have been listening. Okay, it's a dad. He's got two sons. The younger son talks to the dad. Let's pause there for a second. In the first century, in the first century, younger sons did not talk with their dads. This is really, really important. Younger sons didn't talk with their dads. It was actually the eldest son who became a mediator for conversations with dad. And so if younger son had an issue with dad, younger son would talk with older son. Older son would hear that out. And then older son would bring the concerns to dad. This is so critical. So in this story right here when it says the younger son went to his father, immediately there may have been like a little bit of chatter going on. There may have been some conversations. But everybody in that moment got real quiet. And they paused. They paused because they knew this was not a story that they were used to. They knew this was going in a different direction than they had thought already. And then the younger son does something that in the first century nobody would have ever done. He looks at his dad and he says, dad give me my share of the estate. In the first century what he was saying to his dad is I wish you were dead. This is an incredibly offensive thing. This is the most offensive thing you could ever do in this culture. And so the religious people are beginning to see, okay, here's this younger son. He is the sinner. And I think, I think Jesus, I think, I think the the religious people are waiting because they go, oh man, Jesus is going to tell this story. That's going to finally put those sinful people, those tax collectors in their right place. They're going to finally hear from Jesus, how the father, how God actually feels about sinful, broken people. Because right here, the younger son, the younger son is one of those sinners and tax collectors at this moment because he does the most sinful, disgraceful thing he could possibly do. And that's saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. So again, religious people, he's sitting there. And they're going, oh, this is going to get good, man. Finally, like ninja Jesus, like he's going to kick butt on these sinners. You know what I mean? Like he's going to give it to them, man. He's going to make them pay. And maybe some of you, let's pause for a second because maybe some of you, you aren't in a relationship with Jesus right now. And you go, yeah, I already know that God doesn't like me. I already know that God doesn't care about me. Oh, I'm, I'm like way too far past that point. I've said screw you to God long time ago. I wish God was dead a long time ago. And so that's how you feel what well, Jesus is going to change and alter and maybe rock and rattle your cage a little bit. He's going to do so for the religious people. Check out how this story builds. Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Essentially, the dad says, okay. He says, okay. And he gives the younger son what he wants which is what God has done from the very beginning, right? When God created the heavens and the earth, when he created planet earth, he gave us this world that all of us could live in, but he put one tree in this garden. Everyone asks, why did he put the one tree in the garden that they couldn't eat from? And he told them that if you eat from this tree, you will actually die. Why would God put it there? Because God wants an authentic relationship with you. Because God is not gonna try to control you. He doesn't wanna force you to love him. He doesn't want to force you to be in a relationship with him. He wants you to freely choose it because that's what love is. Because that's what a real relationship is. And so this father, he lets the son go. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need so this younger son disgraces his father disgraces the village that he comes from he goes into this place and he does all kinds of wild unspeakable things that a good Jewish boy would never have done he wastes all of his money it's all gone and then the text tells us the story goes that there was a severe famine and he began to be in need and friends for those of us that are in that sin category, and even for us that are in the religious kind of judgmental category, this is the dead end that sin always leads to. Sin always leads to famine. Sin always leads to hopelessness. Sin always leads to being in need. Isn't it crazy? Sin promises you. Sin says, man, if you do this, if you participate in this, if you experience this, you'll be fulfilled. You'll have life, but the truth of sin is that it always leads to a dead end. It always leads to death. And that's where this younger son is. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to the fields to feed pigs. This is the equivalent. I'm, I'm not trying to be dramatic here. This is literally the equivalent of him becoming a stripper. This is the equivalent of him becoming a prostitute. This is the equivalent of him taking up a job and a role and a position that nobody would have ever done back in the first century for a Jewish boy to feed pigs. That was the lowest of the low because they believed you couldn't be near pigs. They believed that they were an unclean animal and so there was no way that he could ever do this. So literally this son goes from being in a relationship with the father to saying, I wish you were dead. Famine leads him to do things that he had never thought he would do. And maybe some of you in this room That's been your story with sin. That's been your story. That you look back on the last six months or the last year and you're going, I can't believe what I've gotten into. I can't believe what's happened in my life. I I never dreamed, I never thought I'd be at this place and I'm so broken. And the religious religious leaders in the story are going, yes, 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 you know what I mean? Because they're, they're, they're so pissed off that Jesus hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. So they're saying that sinner and that tax collector is getting what he deserves. And maybe some of you Christians in this room, you felt that. Maybe you haven't been bold enough to say that. Maybe you have with your other Christian friends, but you thought it. You see a sinner hurting. You see one of your friends who's been sleeping around with their boyfriend or girlfriend for a while. You see their heart break when they break up. You hear about the revenge texts that go out, and there's that part of you that goes... Told you so. Here's a party who goes, Yep, that's what you get. Hope you feel the sting. Hope it hurts, right? That's what these religious people are thinking at this moment. He longed to fill his stomach, verse 16, with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. So he comes up with the brilliant idea that all of us always come up with. It's, oh, I, I got it. I'll earn my way back to God. I'll clean up my own life. Because I've done three bad things. If I do four good things, then God and I are great. Which is really an underestimation of the brokenness and the sin in our lives, right? So we say, we say, we say like this son, he goes, he goes, he, he plans a speech. and He goes, dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me back as a servant. Take me back as a servant. And so he starts planning this speech. He's like, oh, this is going to convince my father to take me back. And maybe these religious leaders are going, oh, man, I don't like this. They're going to have to earn it. They're going to have to work for it. They're going to have to do, man, they got to read all their Bible. They got to do X, Y, and Z before God ever is going to love them. And the religious leaders are thinking just like this younger son is thinking, okay, I'll earn my way back if I just say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me back as a hired servant. That's the plan. But then Jesus uses this opportunity to paint a picture of what the gospel is. Some of you, that's a really new word. I mean, it's the first time you've ever heard it. Gospel is just a, it's a New Testament word for good news. Gospel is the word that Jesus used and said, I have come to share the gospel. I have come to bring good news to people. So Jesus uses this opportunity to begin to talk about what God is actually like using this father. And he says this, but while, the end of verse 20, but while the younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, what was he filled with? Compassion. Compassion. Was he filled with anger? Was he filled with hatred? Was he filled with judgment? He was filled with compassion. The Greek word, which is what the New Testament was written in, the Greek word for compassion is splenomai. Can you guys say splenomai on three? One, two, three. What does that sound like? Spleen. You know what compassion is? Compassion is that feeling. It's your spleen. Yeah, very good, Abby. You are the smartest kid in the room. So, compassion is this. Compassion is that feeling that you have inside of you. Where you see somebody in a bad place. And maybe you've only had this a few times in your life. Where you see somebody in a bad place. You see somebody hurting and broken. And instead of thinking judgment over them. Instead of thinking they're getting what they deserve. Instead of thinking I never want to be like them. Instead of thinking... I don't want to be near them." You actually empathize with them. You feel for them. Like at a gut level, you feel for them, and you wish that you could take their place. That's what true compassion is. Compassion is a feeling that results in action. It's this deep desire, man, I see what they're going through, and I actually wish I could take their place. And sometimes you only feel this for great friends. I felt this for my kids. I've talked to you about this story before, but when Charlie was born, I remember that, and they do this with all babies, they put them under a heat lamp. Did anyone know this? This is kind of weird, right? First, if you're gonna, you know, hopefully you'll be a parent in like 20 years. But anyway, um, they they put babies under heat lamps, which is the same thing they do to lizards. Really weird that it just happens that way, but that's how it happens. They put babies and lizards under heat lamps to heat them up. And Charlie's sitting there and he's he's getting heated up and there's these little like bars that are like, they're kind of like heating. And I remember thinking this really like, morbid and weird thought. I was like, what happens? Because I always think, like worst case scenario, I'm like, what happens if this thing gets unhinged and just drops towards Charlie? Totally awful, right? But you, think, you begin to think about this stuff as a parent, like, how are you going to protect your kids? And the wild thing was, I'd only known my son for maybe a minute or so. And without any hesitation, I said, I'd grab that thing. Like, I don't care what would happen. I don't care what the damage that would be causing me. I remember thinking, what if like a gunman came into the room and said, it's either your son dies or you die. I don't even, I wouldn't even think about it, honestly. I remember tripping out over this, that I had known this, this little poopy thing for one minute. And I'd be willing to die for him. You see, that's Compassion. That's looking at someone and saying, I see the pain that they could be in or that they are in, and I would do anything to take their place. Now, we do that for people we really, 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 really love. And this is where the religious people, and some of you in this room should be beginning to get angry, because the religious people go, whoa, 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 whoa. The father feels what? The father who didn't do anything wrong? The father's looking at this sinful, broken person, and he's thinking and feeling what towards him? He's not anger judgmental. He doesn't hate him. He is feeling compassion towards him. Are you kidding me? Like, like, this is when they're like, their faces are starting to get red, and they're starting to like pop blood vessels, and they're starting to lose it because in their religious system, their job is to judge people who are not like them, and yet God is radically different than that, and this is what happens. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. I wanna invite the, the worship team up right now. Did you see what happened in this story? He throws, he runs towards his son. Again, in the first century, dads never ran, right? Dads like were just like chilling. They were trying to stay calm and stay cool. You know what I mean? It doesn't say he's on a hoverboard. He's not on a Segway. He's not power walking. He is full force running, booking it towards his son. And he throws his arms around him and he kisses him. It says he literally kisses him and hugs him. And then the story gets better. The son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And notice the father interrupts his speech. He had this speech planned, right? Father, I'm sinned against heaven. I'm sinning against you. Take—I'm not worthy to be your son. Take me back as a servant. The father doesn't even let him finish. In, his, in essence, the father looks at him and he says, "This, shut up." He says, "Shut up." And some of you right now who are who are in that sinner category, maybe, maybe you've never begun a relationship with Jesus before, or maybe you've fallen so far from him that there have been things going on in your life that are just wrecking you, that are ruining you. And you're like this son, you're thinking, man, okay, I I know my way back to God. It will be through my actions. It will be through my good works. It will be through me convincing God that I'm worth it. And you need to hear God say to you in a really kind, loving, compassionate way, shut up. Like, shut up. Because your God is better than that. And he proves it. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The dad does something so huge. And I believe God wants to do the same thing to you tonight. And it's this, he gives him a robe. A robe in the first century meant that you had worth and value. It meant that you mattered. And some of you need to know tonight that just like this father put a robe on this son who didn't earn it, who didn't deserve it, who went and did unspeakable things that maybe you're in that category. Tonight, your God, your creator wants to put a robe on you and say, hey, you matter. You matter, you're worth something. The second thing the dad gives the younger son who was a sinner, is he gives him a ring. And a ring, a ring meant that you had authority, that you had power, that you had leadership. Maybe some of you are going, because of my life, because of what I've done, there's no way that God could ever wanna use me. In fact, it would be better for me to be dead. Maybe that is true in an old world, in, in a world without God, but in a world where God has created things in the way he does, even you could be a leader. Even you could have significance and meaning and purpose. And then the last thing this father does is he gives his son, pair of sandals and the major distinction in the first century between a servant and a son was who was wearing sandals servants didn't wear sandals sons did there's this older son in the story who he freaks out about this he can't process all this and he's actually angry about it and the father runs to him and says are you kidding me this this brother of yours who was lost has been found who is dead has now been made alive. Because you see the older son, like the religious people are looking at this situation are looking at this story and saying, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because you see they're looking through the lens of judgment at other people. When God wants you and I, as people who are following Jesus, to look at this broken world and see them as lost not objects for us to judge or hate on or distance ourselves from but as people who are lost people who are dead in their sins and when something of precious value to you is lost you'll do anything to find it christian christians in the room are you are you more in the judgmental camp Do you look out at your friends who are doing things that you've told them not to do and you are just full of judgment for them? Or do you look at them as lost and say, I will do anything to help find them. I will do anything to chase after them, to partner with God in seeing these lost people become found, seeing these dead people become alive. For those of you that aren't in a relationship with Jesus, do you know that you're God you know that your God looks at you like this penny that each of you got and you may feel insignificant you may feel worthless you may feel like like you're not even worth looking at you know that your God looks at you and thinks of you as precious thinks of you as valuable and I want you to keep this penny with you because I want you to look at it I want you to keep it in your room and when you look at it I know that you're gonna look at it and go man this I just throw this away like I wouldn't even pick this up off the ground well you need to know that your God does not look at you that way. But your God is crazy about you and he wants to be in a relationship with you. So I want to invite everyone to uh, close their eyes right now. If you're in this room tonight and this whole idea that there is a God who loves you and cares about you is like totally foreign to you, And yet you heard these stories that Jesus told and you go, man, if that's true, I want that. I want to be in a relationship with that God. Well, you need to know that this God picked you before you ever picked him. That he's wild and crazy about you. This is the greatest love story, better than any marriage, better than any relationship, better than anything that you could ever experience. Is this honest, truthful story of a God who loves the people he created and wants relationship with them and you would go I don't fit the bill man I I don't match up none of us do and it was precisely you and me who Jesus chased after if you're a religious person if you've been following Jesus for a while I want to challenge you are, are you judgmental do you look at the world do you look at people around you and go God they're so disgusting they're so evil they're so messed up Or do you look at them as lost? Because how you look at them will determine how you interact with them. Did you catch that? How you look at them will determine how you interact with them. So do you look at them as objects to be judged or do you look at them as lost people to be found? So if you're in this room tonight and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to say tonight that you're going to begin that relationship, that you want to start that experience, that you want to begin that relationship with the God who created you. And it's a lifelong journey. It's not just about tonight. It begins tonight, but it never ends. In fact, it goes into eternity. And just as Jesus told us in this story, man, heaven rejoices and is going crazy when sinners and broken people, lost people are found by God. So if you're in this room tonight and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus and you want to begin one tonight, you want to start following Him, I want to invite you right now to raise your hand so I can pray for you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Would you keep your hand up and let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for my friends who have their hands up tonight. We are just saying, Jesus, I want to begin following you. I want to begin a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would protect them from becoming judgmental people, but to always be people who recognize that at one point they were lost and then tonight you found them, God. And that their job now is to partner with you in reaching and finding the world. So God, I pray that my friends who have their hands up that they would mean it, that they would truly begin a relationship with you tonight. And with your eyes closed, I want to be real vulnerable and honest with you. I want to to challenge some of you tonight who if you're in the judgmental camp, if for a really long time, man, you've been just looking down on everybody else and you have forgotten to look at people as lost and broken and instead you've just settled for judging them, you know that tonight How you look at them determines how you interact with them. And maybe you have just been pure judgment and you want to be free to that. You want to be instead filled with joy at the opportunity. And so tonight, if if you're in that judgmental camp, I want to invite you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for my bold brothers and sisters who tonight are raising their hands and just saying, man, judgment has crept in. That's kind of what I've been about. Thank you that you saved them, that you love them. And that God, you wanna bring them back to a place where they look at others with such joy and love because they're lost and you wanna use them to reach them. Pray that we would have our hearts and our minds changed tonight.